Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. Awesome, good to be here. There's a few people, if you don't know me, my name's Matt. Uh, I speak here once in a while, and I hang out with a lot of you guys, so it's great to be here. Um, Guys, I was thinking, so this week, uh, this picture right here reminded me of this, right here. Uh, so I got an old forerunner, and this week it was kind of off-tilted, so this week I decided to get it fixed. So I, I, I put a little more suspension on it this week, and, you know, trying to get a little Colorado. The problem was it kind of got adjusted now the other way. So now if you look at my forerunner and you get in it, it feels a little bit like I'm driving uphill, you know? And you're like, whoa, a little off tilt once again. You're like a little, little too far of adjustment. And uh, it's, it's kind of how I work, if you don't know me. Let's kind of keep adjusting. But, but I'm rolling it in here. I feel like the Lord reminded me, like, Guys, this is about life. It's not a quick fix. It's not like we fix it once and it's done. It's about like, oh, keep adjusting. Don't get frustrated. Keep adjusting it back. You know, it was here. Now it's here. Hopefully we get back to a little straight line, you know. Um, And I feel like it's just a reminder, don't get discouraged. When you feel a little off tilt, like the answer isn't to get discouraged. It's to actually say, okay, God, readjust. Readjust, get me back to flat line, you know. And I'll probably do this again, you know. Like, so if you see me and I'm driving uphill, um, yeah, give me a little grace. But anyway, I'm going to pray for us today. I mean, the big thing about coming, gathering together, like the church is all of life, right? It's not just this, but the part of gathering together is to continue to retilt ourselves. So we actually hopefully get level, you know, at least for a little bit. And then come back and recenter ourselves again. Hopefully you don't look like my forerunner, but let me pray. Holy Spirit, um, may your spirit speak today. May your presence be here. May we be dependent on you, Lord Jesus. May we hear your voice even higher than instruments or higher than um, even a voice from the front. So yeah, we just pray for your guiding and your leading. May you speak to us. So I say, thank you, Jesus, that you believe in us, uh, even before you, we believe in ourselves. You believe in this world, even when crazy stuff seems like happen, happening. You believe in this nation. You actually are celebrating what's happening in the world, and you choose to still partner and use us. So Holy Spirit, may you speak today. In your name, amen. Um, So I am speaking on uh, Ephesians 3. If you guys weren't here the first few weeks, Ephesians 1, a big part about Ephesians 1 is that there's this repeated theme in there that says, in him you are this. In him you are a son, you're a daughter. In him you're empowered. In him you're part of God's story. Brandon spoke last week, and he spoke really about the idea of the gospel. There's this passage, this key thing in there that says, like we were broken, we were wretched, like we were off tilt, right? And then it's this big thing, but God, rich in mercy, all powerful, like the gospel came and gave us that identity. 
And this gospel, the idea is he actually brings us back to, even if it's not from our own work, he brings us back to level. And I think over and over again, without God, like we just stay on the left side of that butt, right? And the idea is God wants to bring us to the right side of that butt, that actually we're holy, we're redeemed because of the gospel. We're redeemed even when we don't feel like it. Those days where we're off tilt, he's like, no, 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 you're still redeemed. Choose it. Like, this is the gospel. The problem is it's not a one-time decision, right? It's, a, it's like an everyday decision to actually live in the gospel. And I'm not talking about going to heaven or not going to heaven. I'm actually talking about living in this calling, this identity of being a son, a daughter, someone who has an inheritance, authority as you walk through your day. I think God invites us into that. There's things that happen in our life. I want, so I want to ask this question and really actually think of a movie reel, a picture in your mind when this happened. There's this word that the Lord brought to my mind is like being gypped, you know? Like, when's the last time you can think when you were gypped? Gypped is kind of like it shouldn't have happened. Like you earned something and then you didn't get what you thought you'd get, you know? Or maybe from that, maybe the word's disappointed. I mean... I mean, even think about this year or even beyond. I mean, everybody this year can be like, stink, I was gypped. You know, like, I just feel gypped. It's like one of the worst feelings where it's like, no, 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 I worked hard for that and I was gypped. It just got stolen from me, you know? So I just want that, picture that in your mind. Let the feelings of that come up because God actually wants to deal with the feelings, not bury that. And I'm going to tell a story about it, but another one I want to think too as you're thinking, when's the last time or a time that you really felt believed in? Where you're like, no, 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 I actually, even when you actually made a mistake or were off tilt, somebody's still like, I believe in you. Like you're believed in. When is that? Play that real in your head. When were you believed in? Like feel that. How's that feel? It feels totally different, right, than the jip piece. Third question I asked, when's the last time you believed in somebody who didn't deserve it? What did it look like? To the point where you actually, over a long stretch, saw that belief change their life. Do you guys have a picture of that? There was a student of mine I worked with. He was, his name's Christian. I worked with him all his freshman year. He was addicted to opioids, and uh, he was kind of a screwball. And we just lived with them for a year. I, I spent 15 hours a week with this kid. This is two years ago. In the midst of it, and it's, and it's uh, doing school with him, right? I just believed in him. Every day I came and said, I believe in you. Like, you are amazing. Halfway, and you guys have heard this story, many of you. Halfway through the year, he stopped. And I'm not talking Jesus stuff. It's not a Christian curriculum. I'm teaching him freshman year of school. He goes, Matt, what's my next step to following Jesus? Because your life is different, and I want that. By the end of his freshman year, he spent a year with me, his dad said, my son is different. Will you spend time with me and life coach me? Because my son is a different kid than I saw before. At the start, when do we see a picture of that? Have we done that? I think this is what the gospel has called us into, and I'll tell you one story about me feeling gypped, and it won't be from this year because we need a little humor, because this year we can all think of one. It's too easy. 
But I think of high school, one of my favorite things in high school was basketball. It's what I gave my life to. And uh, my fresh sophomore year of high school, I started on the varsity team. I was pretty good, you know? Like, I was good. I started. We were a bad team, though, but I did start. <laughs> but my junior year, I went into my junior year of high school, and it was really a big thing to me. I, uh, I sat on the bench. I never played. And it started just, I just felt gypped. I think I actually probably worked harder than other people, and I was just gypped. It was the year my dad then came down with cancer, and I just felt gypped. And there's this critical moment that just like highlighted this deep hurt in my heart that I was letting bury it. In mornings, we'd go and play uh, pickup basketball. And uh, all like staff, the principal was there, all this stuff. And there was a principal in our school that I set a pick on, and he leans in and he goes, do that again, I'll throw you in the wall. And I'm like, you're the principal. I'm like 14. <laughs> and, then, and then again, I'm just trying to play hard. And I, uh, I set a pick on him again. He grabs the ball, stops in the middle of the gym full of all my peers, teachers, the head coach of my team, takes the ball, whips it at me as hard as they can, and starts yelling at me for a minute of like, this is why you don't play this year. You are like a disgrace to this like, school. And I'm just sitting there. I look at my coach. He doesn't say anything. And I'm just like, I'm like defeated. And I just leave the gym that day just feeling like, whoa, that one I'm gypped. I just felt gypped. I, I've given my life to this program. And that moment emphasized to me like I'm gypped. No, no, no. That's not what I want. I've been giving my life to this. And I'm gypped. I don't know. I, I think this idea of being gypped. I mean, can anybody else in this room feel gypped somehow? I don't know. This year, you're like, that's not how it's supposed to happen. These are the moments where the gospel, yeah, Ephesians 3. So turn to Ephesians, you guys. This is such a rich book. It's towards the end of the Bible. If you, Verse 22 of chapter 2 is where we start. Verse 22, it says this. So before three, in him, you also, sorry, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Basically, you guys, this is saying you are the temple. Like you are the temple. Following three, at the start of three, it says, for this reason. Since you are the temple, for this reason that you're the temple, you will live this way, Paul. Verses 14, it also repeats, for this reason, since you are the temple, for this reason, this is how you live out. So there's two sections of this based purely off of like ch uh, chapter 2, verse 22. You are the temple. Now, this is the first thing to realize. In Ephesus at the time, this is a place that is, it's like a spiritual Disneyland. Like, there's, like, worship of Artemis over here. You're supposed to worship Caesar. Like, you're supposed to go all these temples and worship. So these people, when they hear temple, they get it. The temple is the place where this thing dwells, where you get influence, you get, um, you get help, or you need to do it to be good standing in society. And now the weird thing about this, the living God who spoke the world into existence is telling these people who for the longest time have felt like I'm trying so hard, but I don't get credit. I feel gypped. Or these, these people, these 
Ephesians, uh, they talk about him in Acts chapter 9, 19. In Acts chapter 19, Paul's first there for two years and starts actually, these people start giving their life to Jesus. At this moment, what happened was these, the people in the temple, the other like idol workers in the city started getting upset because so many people were coming to Jesus, they stopped buying idols in their storefronts. So these business workers are like, are you kidding me? This can't happen. So they threw a riot and started beating on these Christians and started hurting them and going after them. These Christians are like, no, I'm just trying to do a good thing. And they just got gypped. And for the next how many years, them trying to do good things, they got, they got bad things back to them. They didn't get the promises they thought life was going to look like. They got gypped. And all along, Paul's saying, no, 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 but God, you are the living temple. The living God who lives in you, you are the temple. You're the temple. Like, that's where the glory dwells. And I want you guys to feel this. Um, some of the guys in my cohort listen to this, but you got to know how big our God is. The only way that temple idea makes any sense that it's great is how big God is. Now, this is how big God is, okay? Like you think the speed of light. Hi, guys. Sorry about that. Our friend Adam Cox talks about this in the God's story. In the beginning, Genesis 1, like the speed of light is so fast, okay? God, when he created the earth, he spoke out his mouth the speed of light and made the whole world, okay? Like he was the only one there out of joy made humans. So this is how fast the speed of light is. If you would shoot a gun that shot the speed of light, it would circle around the earth seven times in less than a second. <sighs> that fast. Before you could move, it hit you seven times. That's how fast like, the speed of light is. Now, if we're going to get in my off-tilt forerunner, right? Going upwards, it's ready to launch out, and it's going the speed of light, I can jump up, shift it in to drive, and it's ready to launch, like to the moon, in one second. Pretty fast. Now to the sun, same speed I can get to the sun in eight minutes at the speed of light. And some of you guys know this, but we've got to take it into account when we're saying temple. But now we say, if we can get to the sun in eight minutes, how long does it take you to the edge of our one galaxy? To get to the edge of our one Milky Way galaxy, it would take 50,000 years to get to the edge of our galaxy. Now they say when they throw the Hubble telescope up, right? They say they shoot off and instantly they can see like hundreds of other galaxies. And they estimate like a billion other galaxies. And now you think, holy crap, like our God expanded. If we can get to the edge of our galaxy in 50,000 years, the universe is like billions of galaxies. And our God spans that with the edge of his hand. And that God says, I dwell in you as a temple. And that is what he's saying. No, 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 you guys don't understand. It's not just competition with Caesar. The living God, that huge thing, is in your heart. He's big enough. He's huge for any other riot or places you've got gypped in your life. He's big enough. And the crazy thing is he's good enough and loves you so much that he dwelled in you. Like that God is in us. 
and now I'm worried about a principal throwing a basketball at my head? Like, are you kidding me? Like, get over it. Okay, now we'll actually read scripture, but you got to have that in case. Okay, uh, so chapter three. Chapter 3, so it says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ on behalf of the Gentiles, assume that you have heard of this stewardship of Christ Jesus that you were given to me, how the mystery was made known by me, uh, to me by a revelation as it was written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery. This, going on to chapter, verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers in the promise of Jesus Christ through the gospel. Okay, I'll take this to you. Stop. First, Paul said, I'm a prisoner. In this day and age, like a prisoner is a disgrace. You wouldn't flaunt that you're a prisoner, but there was something different about Paul. Paul said, I'm a prisoner for you. I'm willing to take on disgrace for you guys to get this idea of a promise that is for you. Paul was in prison five times during this 20 years with these people in when he has met them to when he wrote this five times. And he's like, the world, Caesar would say, this is a disgrace. And he's saying, I don't care. It's a disgrace because I want to believe in you guys. He was somebody who didn't live as an orphan mentality based off of like being gypped, defining my life. He didn't let the things of 2020 define his life or the failures that people put on him or the failures he put on himself. He actually knew he was a son. And because he had a son, he had that living God in his heart and he had something to give because he was on the right side of the butt, full of grace. He wasn't on the left side of living out of wrath. He was on the right side. And he said, being a prisoner doesn't define me. And I, I want you, when I say that, think to the exact moment where you think you got gypped, that picture I said to you. Does that define you? Does it define you that you're lonely? Here's the problem, you guys, if we're gypped, I feel like it's kind of like, you guys know mint? I had mint tea this morning. Mint tea, it's a great thing. I like mint, right? <laughs> Hang in there with me, Mia. Hang in there. But you have mint tea. Mint is a good thing. I think it's kind of like being gypped. When you get gypped and you want to tell about your principal chucking a ball at your head, it feels good to say so. But if you let that foster, mint becomes a plant that seeks down in a garden and it'll take over a whole garden. It actually becomes a weed. It's the weed that will destroy everything in your life. And you look at that one place where you're like, oh, I was gypped. If we let that foster over and over again, it becomes your defining factor in your life. It's the mint plant. Now your whole garden, the, the process of your life feels like it was gypped. I was gypped. Paul sees it differently. And now instead of just one event, it becomes your paradigm. And now you start covering it up with pride. You start covering up with what do people think of me. And it becomes this cycle where my whole life is defined by being gypped. Here's a few things that I think when we're gypped, we start acting like. And I think this is where we evaluate ourselves. Am I acting out of an identity of an orphan who feels like I'm gypped and missed out? Or am I acting out of a son who has a promise? So evaluate our hearts. 
This is what, when you're gypped, you do. One, you'll probably draw away, you'll isolate. You refuse to forgive those who have hurt you. If you see yourself over and again withdrawing, pulling away when things get hard, it's probably a sign your paradigm is out of flesh and not out of this goodness of the gospel. You're possessive. possessive. You're saying, no, that's my group. If you see yourself saying over and over, that's mine, that's mine. It's a possessive action that you want credit. It's a pride that thinks you can actually get it on your own. When we start seeing, we see this this year all the time, an us versus them mentality. I mean, easy to see in our country right now, right? It's them, it's us. No, they're bad. This is bad. We're going to plow over the the capital and destroy things because it's them. You guys, it's coming from a place of you felt you were gypped. And you let being gypped define your life. Where you're unteachable. If we find our hearts that are unteachable, where we're over and over again, actually, I can't learn from that person. It's probably a sign in my heart that I'm moving everything in my life out of being gypped. There's distrust, disloyalty, unhealthy idols. And this is unhealthy idols. If we idolize methods or standards or programs above people. We saw that all the time this year, didn't we? We're like, no, this political party is the way to go. Like, I mean, every issue this this year has been on this idea of the method, the standard is more important than the person I see right in front of me. And I would say this is what Paul is hitting at, that's saying, oh, you're responding out of an orphan. You're responding not as a temple, but as an orphan. Paul shows the example. Paul shows the example here of like how to actually live in a manner that's healthy. When you get gypped over and over again, he's like, that doesn't define me anymore. So I'm going to bring up some key words here. If you look on verse 2, it says a steward. Paul says, I am a steward to serve the Gentiles. A steward is someone who is like a high official in a master's house, almost like a slave who is willing to serve other people's agenda. That their value of them is above yourself, is above your, their vision is above your vision. And he said, I'm willing to take a lower standard so that you get impacted. I'll do it every time. I'll be, I'll be a servant. I will be a, I'll be a steward so that you succeed over myself. This gospel call of us is actually asking us to see other people's stories and say, I want you to succeed. That is impossible, but God. That's the only way it's possible. In verse 6, this is a key piece. It talks about this word mystery. And this is such a key word. What is the mystery? He defines it. He says the mystery of the gospel. It's for all people. All people. Every single one of us, the goodness of the God, the God who created the earth to be in you, to be an image bearer, like you look like God, that's everybody. And he said, oh, it's the Gentiles, right? So the Gentiles get brought into this. But for us day and age, who is it that you don't like? Well, the mystery of God is for them. Is it a certain Enneagram type that you don't like? If you know what that is? Well, it's for them. Is it a certain political party? Is it a certain race? Is it a certain whatever? It's for them. 
And if we can't accept the gospel, say, no, see it for them. Posture yourself. Our community to Amy and a few others in this room, my wife, have engaged in like racial stuff this year. Have they done it perfect? I don't know for sure. But uh, I'm like, I, sorry about that. But my point was there, my point is what they have done perfect is they've tried to see people, love people, and put their posture in a way to understand somebody who's different than them. And to actually have the gospel and a temple in our heart, we actually posture ourselves to actually try to learn about people who are different. So it's, and the point is why I said, I don't know if they did it perfect, because it's not about doing it perfect. It's actually about trying to lean in and understanding that actually the mystery from the beginning of time was for them. And with the mystery, he said, the Gentiles, everybody, was meant to be partakers in the promise. And you're like, well, what's the promise? This is why we've been hitting on the God story the whole time. The promise is actually, we got to go back to the beginning. God made people to be image bearers who actually partner with him to actually do his work. God could have done everything on his own. He's like, Denver, it's made. You know, like United States, Europe. But he's like, I want people to actually do this with me. It's the craziest concept. You guys, God actually made himself so vulnerable to have relationship with us. It wasn't about perfection. It was about this weird thing. In the beginning, God made something, designed a method to partner with people. This is the promise to actually have a loving relationship with them. This is one thing God can't create. The one thing God can't create, he can't create love. And you're like, wait, 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 he is love right? But the reason he can't really create love is because it takes choice. It takes choice. And in his promise to partner with people to actually develop the world, he said, I want a loving relationship. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for people to team with me and partner with me. And sometimes you make mistakes and I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to believe in you even when you make mistakes. Lean back into me. You're a temple. The key piece of this promise is uh, Genesis 12. There's a guy named Abraham, right? And Abraham was a guy, just lonely guy that God spoke to and said, go to another place. And he said, I will make, uh, hold on, where am I? He said, I'll make you a great nation and your name will be great. Your name will be famous. You will bless the whole world. I'll protect you and all the earth will be blessed through you. It was the promise that God had the beginning in Genesis. He repeated it for Abraham. And in the God story we did, even in house churches, this is why we keep hitting it in because this is our story too. This is our promise too. I mean, hear it in your heart. Like Mike Waters, your little girl will be the start of a great nation. You'll make the nation great. Through little girl Waters, like this world will be blessed through her. We're going to train up a people group who look at chaos in a world and say, Lord, how do I make it blessed? How do you use me? I'm part of this promise. So a promise is yes for safety on them, but it's also a commission to go engage in the world with him. And he said, Gentiles, you're part of this promise. And they're like, what? We've just been suppressed. 
by Rome all this time. He said, that's okay. I know that's how it feels. But that's you feeling left of the butt. To the right of the butt reality is you're blessed, you're impactful, you're powerful. And in him, you're called to bring impacts to the whole world. But it starts from an identity of throwing off the places where you feel gypped and disappointed. Because those places, guys, what is being disappointed happen? If it becomes your garden of disappointment, your paradigm will respond first out of fear. If you're responding out of fear all the time, it is a place of actually disappointment is ruling our lives rather than a living God. Okay, moving on from there, you guys. Sweet. Verse 8, it says, Paul is the least of all. And sometimes, you guys, Paul is fascinating to me. Paul is fascinating to me because sometimes we think he's just this holy roller. But I think we miss him totally. And we think sometimes he says, I'm the least of these because, oh, he's just supposed to pretend he's humble. Like, you guys, on moral standards, he was the least of these. He was a guy who was literally murdering people. Like in Acts 6, he was murdering friends of the disciples. And then his life, he got encountered by Jesus. He said, no, I want to be different. And the disciples look at him and say, we don't trust you. Go do your own thing. He goes off for 14 years back to his hometown, seeks the Lord and guidance to get a redemption of heart. And over and over again, disgracefully gets thrown in prison gets hated on by the people he's literally trying to serve alongside. He's least. I don't know when the last time you thought a murderer was an okay guy. But it's so funny, the God of the universe chooses to use people who are subpar. And God said, no, 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 I'm going to use Paul. And he's actually saying this out of actually practicality to these people of Ephesus, saying, no, you can be better than me. I'm the least of you. You can be part of this promise more than I can. Just let the grace of the Lord jump in your heart. Don't let your disappointments define you. They're not what define us, disappointments. Paul's the least of these, and he pushed through. 9 and 10, God says, from the beginning of time, I had a plan, and it was for the church to actually change the world. You guys, we've defined the word church in such a weird way. We defined it, we go to church on Sundays. Actually, the word church in Paul's era was ecclesia. And the word actually was a Roman word that was used. It wasn't a synagogue that they meet at. The word church was actually a group of elite people in the city who would actually make decisions to change the city for better. It was like a council of people who would change the city in all of life. So he's actually saying, no, 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 my plan from the beginning of time was image bearers who know their temples actually go out together in a mass and change the city. So when he's saying my plan from the beginning of time was us, like in our hearts, we have authority to go out and change definition of unity, definition of what we believe race means, of what injustice means, of what like decisions in our neighborhoods mean. Like we were the plan. Like right here currently, we are the plan of God. And I feel like God's saying, in this, feel the weight of the good news and what you have to bring to it. And it comes through business. It comes through parenting. It comes through every aspect. And 13 is huge. It says, do not lose heart, depending on your translation. But more or less, don't lose heart. And I would say the key, 
The key to incarnational stuff that Jesus do, follow Jesus, is this idea of longevity. I told you the story of Christian, my, my student, right? For the first four months, I thought I was having no impact on this kid's life. Zero. Month four, and he's still being a little punk. Month four, he's like, what do I do to change my life? And it was only because of longevity, steadiness, seeing people consistently speaking into their lives, hope, joy, peace. It's the call. It's the plan of the church. And not to write them off because you're judgmental about their political position or their personality type or their thing they did to you when they threw a ball at your face. But actually saying, God's going to change them. They're going to be developed, and I believe in them. That's what Paul did over and over again. And actually the kingdom moved through actually trusting. Be steady. Like, look, longevity in pursuing people's hearts and friendship is a key piece for the church. Don't quit early. Don't judge people too early. Don't do it. Okay. Uh, Verse 14. Now we're shifting again. Verse 14 says, for this reason. Again, that for reason is flipping back to the top. You are a temple. For this reason. So again, this one's different. I view this, guys. This is how Paul would battle discouragement. These next like six verse, six to eight verses is how when you get gypped, it actually does hurt. When you actually get discouraged, it is discouraging. Don't pretend it's a light switch. He's saying this is how you battle it because you need to learn how to battle. And in scripture, these four, this verse is leading in to the second half of the book. The whole second half of the book is application. The first half of the book is almost the theology of what to believe the gospel. The second half of the book is how do you apply this? And this is the buffer zone of saying, therefore, if I'm a temple, what do I do when I am discouraged? What do I do? And I think this, first part, verse 14, he said, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth was named. So this is the God who created the whole earth, the huge God who's big enough for every single problem. He's big enough for different political ideas. He's huge. There's nothing too big. He's big enough. He's big enough if our government style changes or it stays the same. God's still the same, unchanging. And the key to this, he bends the knee and he worships. I would say if you guys are discouraged, like go worship. Worship. Like, put your place in looking at the Father and worship. I'm so bad at this. You guys, last week, literally, I got, I thought I was gypped, but I wasn't. And I told my wife, like, I'm so frustrated. You can't stop and just sit with me. So I grabbed the kids and I just left. The exact thing I said earlier in service, like, I isolated myself, like, I'm hitting the road, Tom. And I took the day and just like, I'm going to the park and I have the kids and I had pride saying, I'm taking care of the kids if you don't have time. And I just felt gypped. I literally did. And guess what I didn't do? I didn't worship. I just bitterly replayed the story in my mind. What I should do, and my wife does a good job of this, she stops, she looks to Jesus and she says, Lord, redefine what just happened. But what I do often is I spend the whole day in bitterness looking down navel-gazing 
And then I get home, sleep it off, and the next day I'm like, I was so bad, I had to say to Tan, all I could say is, sorry for being terrible. <laughs> like literally, like I didn't even know how to define the whole thing. It's like, sorry for being terrible. But really, because I felt gypped, I wasn't necessarily gypped, but I did feel it, and the proper way to go is to say, Lord, this is how I feel. Help me, and let me worship you. Look to him, get on your knees, from whom every name in the world has been made named. Look at him and say, Lord, let you define me. Let me worship you. Let me look to you, not my navel. Let me look up to you. May you define being in prison. May you define riots that are happening in our country or in Ephesus at the time. Let you define this. I love this. Um, David, we all know the story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath, David was this wee little boy, a shepherd boy who his brothers didn't trust. And he's going to this war, right? to see where his brothers are. And there's this big guy named Goliath who's nine stinking feet tall and he's taunting the armies of the Lord and everybody's scared to death out of fear. If we lose, we're done. David, this little handsome boy, comes to bring his, his brothers like food or whatever, right? And then he sees this Goliath guy come out and says, like taunts them and says, come fight me, you wimps. And David looks at his brothers Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? And his brother's like, who's defying the Lord? And his brothers are like, David, you know nothing. Like, you are just a shepherd boy and you are a weakling. Go back to the fields and just sit with those fuzzy sheep. Do more or less. Paraphrase Matt Hulse edition. <laughs> but at, at David at this point, didn't even notice. He's like, okay, I know you've always thought about me that way. Doesn't define me. I'm going to worship again. Lord, what do you say? He says, you are a mighty warrior who worships me. Go, go forth, fight the battle. He goes in, destroys this guy, cuts off his head with the sword of Goliath. But I think this is what we see in the world today, in the world then. Our greatest destiny is actually the enemy is going to attack our greatest destiny. David was meant to be a leader who impacted the world, and his brothers for all people came and said, you can't do that. You're not strong enough. You can't do that. Go back to where you belong in a field. And I think this is where David showed us the way. He went back to worshiping. And David was by no means, he is by no means like the perfect example of being human. He made tons of mistakes, but what he did was he was a worshiper. He was a worshiper warrior. And I think when we feel gypped, the first thing we need to do is worship over longevity, long time of worship, saying, God, redefine this gypness in my mind. Don't let it define who I am. Verses 16 and 17. Guys, we're almost through. It's, it, it, it does get shorter. Um, it says this love, this love, let root, this Matt Hall's paraphrase, root love to the depths of your heart. Like, let the goodness of God, let me read that for you. In accordance to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you the strength with the power through his love in your spirit so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. The point is, his love is in your heart to define you. He loves you. 
It's not performance that gets you there. It's actually the spirit of him who gets to define your heart. But the crazy thing is, the only place that our living God who created the world can't go is where you say he can't go. He gave us choice. And if you cut him off from your heart, he'll wait patiently. He'll wait for you and he will break through. But if you say, no, you can't go in my heart, like he honors free choice. And I think this is where, this is where he's saying, no, let my spirit go to the depth of your heart. Let believe that the goodness, the only way to get to the right side of the butt from chapter two is to receive and say, God, I don't deserve it, but I receive today. I don't know how to get over my disappointment, but may you pour it into me miraculously. May you change my heart. It's a posture of receiving. In our country as a whole, I would say we're great givers. We're pretty bad receivers. We're pretty generous people as a whole, but we're pretty poor receiving without showing that you've earned it. And I think actually the gospel is different. It's saying, no, just receive. Receive freely. You're a son. I love you, son. Even when you screwed up. You're my daughter. I love you. Be rooted. Be rooted in this love. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this, verse 20. Verse 20, this is, this is almost like I think the prayer statement of Paul that he makes as he's in prison. Literally, there's places, you guys, where he's sharing the gospel. A town takes him out, stones him to the point they think he's dead. And his attitude gets up and it's like, shoot, maybe I shared that wrong. Should I? I think I'm going to go back and do that again. I'm not mad at him. They're just image bearers who don't know they're image bearers yet. Like, God loves them. Let me go try again. Compared to be like, those idiots. I'm not going to share the gospel. They don't deserve it. He's like, no, I love it. And I think this is his like mantra, what he says. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory of the church, Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. I think at the point when we actually are discouraged, which we will be, at the point when we feel gypped, worn out, frustrated with society, you've got to look and say, no, 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 Jesus, you are able to do abundantly more than I can even dream of. The dream of this happening, you can do it. I've talked to Andy a lot. He started this place in June of this year. Took miracles to get started. You could imagine how business is going during this season. And I talked to him, he goes, do you know what? God did miracles before. He can do miracles again. And we need it because Andy literally is an example of saying, no, 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 the world says maybe I'm not going to make it. God says you can do abundantly more than I can ask or imagine. I think as we look at us being discouraged or gypped or frustrated or worn out, is our vision God or is it society? What is it? Is it that God who made the world, who loves you to death, can do abundantly more than we could dream? Is that the faith we have? That's the church. So I guess it's like even I close. Like, is that what we do? When we get discouraged with our wives, do we go, God, you can do abundantly more? Or do we just navel gaze and walk away and isolate? Or do we say, God, you can do abundantly more than I can ask or imagine. Even dream up, you can do more. You are the God who spans the world with your hand. And for some reason, you love me like crazy. I can't even figure it out. 
Is that kind of faith in our heart? Do we really see the world that God is big enough and good enough for every situation? Is he? If he's not, this is where Ephesians is saying repent and believe the right side of the gospel that you actually are in his mercy. Repent. Change your ways and actually think, God, you're going to use me. I'm part of the promise. I'm not just a nobody on the street. I think these are my questions in closing. What is your one step you need to take to battle just the disappointment in your heart right now? I'm sure we all have slight disappointment from this year or even from past years. Maybe it's become a garden of disappointment, right? That's taken over the whole garden. There's no room for anything else to grow because disappointment and loneliness and frustration has actually defined. What's your next step to actually see the world through a God who can do abundantly more than you can ask or imagine? And this is my second question. Who right now, and this is a prayer for you to ask because it's not just self-fixed. Who are you right now called to believe in with endurance? Is there one person, and I just pray it, I'm going to pray it. Is there one person that comes to your mind right now that you're supposed to believe in with endurance? That you'll say, no, I'll fight. I'll get walked on. I'll get kicked at. And I'll still believe in them over and over. Because you're promised. You're an heir. You have the authority of the king. So you can give something that's cultivated in your heart. These are the two calls of the gospel. We have a purpose of the gospel and we have power that transforms our life and we have a purpose to go out and bless all the world. It's the good news of the gospel that Ephesians talks about. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you guys just those two questions. May the Holy Spirit speak. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, I pray this week when disappointments come up that we choose not to act like there's no God. May I pray against that I am the one determiner of my destiny. God, may you break in. May you show me that I'm a temple where you dwell. May you repeat softly in your own words, Lord Jesus, how you're big enough and good enough for a certain situation that's going on, this brokenness, this garden of disappointment. May you refresh it. God, may you direct us to actually people who actually need loving. God, may you use us specifically with people who maybe believe differently than us. Find ways for us to interact. Change our hearts and how we see them. May Jesus, you be the vision as we walk out the room and walk through our days. May you set our, car, our cars. May you reformat it so it's not at a tilt going uphill. May you actually reformat our lives so it's not tilted upwards anymore your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.